0: Hey, we're uh, in the last week of our fall campaign. We made it to the end. We're gonna be in the last chapter of 1 John, which is chapter five. So if you got your Bible, you wanna turn to 1 John chapter five, that is where we'll be this morning. Conclude this series with, I think, a powerful emphasis that we all need to be focused on if we are to uh, successfully achieve and accomplish what it is that God has for us. And again, this series is called Perfect Love. And we got to remember at the end of the day, we're not human doings, we're human beings, right? And we are called really by God, first and foremost, to have a relationship with him. And that's what this book has been focused on is the relationship, the fellowship that we can have with God and the love relationship that we can walk in. And uh, I'll tell you this, without that in place in our lives, we can try really hard to do good. We can try really hard to be good people. And yet at the end of the day, those efforts fall short of accomplishing what it is really that God wants for us. And that is that we simply know him And we have a relationship with him and we have that fellowship with him and we walk in his love. Love is what we need um, to have that power and the identity that we need uh, in life. And so, very important. Um, We have a memory verse or verses that we've been working on through this series. Today, we will take away almost all the words. Next week, they all go away. And so we'll really have to know it by then. But we say this together with all the words and then we take away a bunch of them try to say it again, okay? And since I have the microphone, everybody knows if I get it right or not, um, which is unfair. But anyway, maybe I'll turn mine off. Okay, let's say this together. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. 1 John 4, 7 and 8. Okay, here we go. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves knows God, for God... Oops, I think I messed this up. Back up, see how I got the microphone? Back us up a minute, please, Cindy. I need to see this again. Okay, it's 11 o'clock service, man. I, okay, let, let's do this together one more time so the pastor can get it right. I'm just being real in front of you. Like it, it's not easy to, okay, here we go. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God for God is love. Okay, here we go. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another for love comes from God. Anyone who loves, child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love does not know God for God is love. Woo! First John 4, 7 and 8. All right. This week, as we conclude this series called Perfect Love, we're focused on this theme. Through love, we can overcome. Through love, we can overcome. Uh, If you've lived more than a few days, if you've been on this earth for more than a, a couple of years, you have realized that part of life is facing obstacles. That there are going to be obstacles that you come up against and you've got to overcome them if you're going to continue. And much of life comes down to, a lot of the time, overcoming those obstacles. Why is it that we face obstacles? I know a lot of people in their relationship with God, what they're hoping for is that by doing the right things, maybe going to church every week, praying every day, just trying to do the right things, that God will eliminate the obstacles in their life. So they don't have any difficulties to face because those difficulties and obstacles can be extremely frustrating. They can really slow us down and discourage us and really keep us from enjoying life or feeling like we're successful or we're getting somewhere in the life that we're living. And so obstacles are difficult. Now, I'm gonna tell you some good news and bad news. Uh, the good news is that by walking with God, having a relationship with him, he becomes part of the, um, uh, he'll give you the ability, and he, be, he begins to participate with you in helping you overcome the obstacles that you face. Okay, so that's the good news. When you uh, trust in Christ and you walk with him, he becomes a powerful force in your life to overcome obstacles. The bad news is that he will not remove all the obstacles from your path. In fact, at times he will allow obstacles to come into your path because as human beings, there's a tricky truth about us that we're gonna learn today in this passage. And that is we have a tendency to look away from God to other things, whether it's ourselves, whether it's the things around us in life. And we get attached to those things and we begin to live for those things. And that of course is a distraction from the way God wants us to live and the life that Jesus came to offer us. And so we need obstacles because oftentimes that pushes us to refocus on God and to ask him for his help. And so I don't know what obstacles you're facing today. I don't know what obstacles you've faced in your life. I know that as a pastor in my role, I oftentimes am focused on helping people overcome obstacles to their walk with Jesus, to their faith, to their life. Because I see obstacles a lot of times stop people or slow them down from making progress as um, to experiencing what I see in the Bible that God wants us to have, which is a life uh, that is meaningful and, and, uh, and has a lot of happiness in it, a lot of joy and peace. And yet I see a lot of obstacles to that. And so a lot of my focus as a pastor has, has kind of honed in on that. How do I help people overcome those obstacles? And, of course, in my own life, I feel as though I've had plenty of obstacles. I think we kind of all do because we know the challenges that we've faced I know that I've had conversations with my mom about my childhood, and it seems at times that she thought everything was effortless and worked great for me. like, Mom, I had a lot of obstacles to overcome. I just didn't come home and tell you about them all the time. Maybe you got one of those children. They come home, you're like, how was your day? And they go, fine. And then they go to their room, right? That was kind of me. I might have had a horrible day. I might have got beat up, but I'm not going to talk about it. I don't know why I just didn't. So, um, but I know what they are, right? And I understand them, and maybe you do too. Maybe some of your obstacles in life, um, there's a couple ways I think they come into our lives. One of them is uh, we get attacked spiritually. I mean, you are a person, if you're trying to follow God, you're a person who has influence in the world. There's people that uh, watch you that are gonna see your life, whether it's at work, whether it's at home. If you're a parent, you play a significant role. There are people that are gonna watch you. And because someone's watching you as you try to live for God, your life will be attacked so as to throw you off your mission so that you don't represent God well, right? And so I hope you know that there's a battle that you're in. You're in a war and there's an enemy who's going to try to at times attack you and throw obstacles in your path so that you will lose focus, so that you will act differently than you should. And so um, perhaps influencing the people around you negatively. There are also obstacles, I think, that come into our lives because of our own decision-making and the way we live or the way we look at things. Maybe some of the obstacles in your life have to do with the mindset that you live with. Perhaps you desire the approval of people, and that has got a big focus for you, and when you don't get that approval, it messes with your life. Maybe you desire the symbols of achievement. You want to accomplish things and have it look as though you're successful and you've, you've achieved things. And when that's not happening, all of a sudden you get frustrated. It's an obstacle in your life. And you think, I just got to get those things and then life will be meaningful. Maybe you need the power of a position. You want to be in charge. You want to be in a position of power and that would make you feel important or successful. And so chasing that, pursuing that, it becomes a big part of your life and that becomes an obstacle. To you feeling successful. Maybe you're still looking for that father figure or mother figure and their approval. And because you didn't have that, you never quite feel like you're accomplishing or have been successful. I don't know. There's all kinds of things that become obstacles in our life. I certainly face them all the time. And uh, part of me thinks at 53 years old, I should have it all figured out. I should know how to overcome the things that come into my life. And yet the reality is I don't, and there are things that surprise me sometimes. They become an obstacle, and I'm like, why is that a big deal? I should be past that. I should not care about that anymore, and yet it's still there. And so all I know is this. We have obstacles we face. We all need help in overcoming them. And this passage, this chapter, is going to focus in on five different obstacles to our faith that we can overcome through the power of God. And so the first obstacle we see as we start off this chapter, chapter 5 of 1 John, is we have an obstacle we must overcome in order to live the life Jesus calls us to. And the first obstacle is we need to overcome the evil world. Let's read first five verses of John, 1 John chapter five. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has become a child of God. And everyone who loves the father loves his children too. We know we love God's children, If we love God and obey his commandments, loving God means keeping his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome for every child of God defeats this evil world. And we achieve this victory through our faith. And who can win this battle against the world? Only those who believe that Jesus is the son of God. Anyone who believes in Jesus, that he's the son of God, the savior. You know, the early church existed in a climate of persecution and turmoil. They were attacked (coughs) all the time for their faith. Their identity as Christians would put them in jeopardy of prison or even at times their lives being taken. And so they came up with some ways to identify themselves, interact with other people. And uh, some of those became symbols. One of them is called the ichthys And of course, that's the word in Greek for fish. <clears throat> now, Jesus used fish in some of his miracles involved fish and fish were a part of his ministry in different ways. And he talked about them. And so we have a symbol up here. The itch this, which again is the Greek word for fish. Now it also became an acrostic of with the letters there, the five letters that made up the word. Those are Greek letters. <clears throat> I'm not gonna try to pronounce them or say the words in Greek that they became to stand for. But what, um, what they became uh, or what they created was an acrostic from each letter was a word. And so the five words right, that would go with each letter was Jesus Christ, the first two, Son of God, the second two, and the last one, Savior. Jesus Christ, Son of God, Savior. And so this became a way in which they identified themselves. It was a symbol that had um, significant meaning for them. Now, because they lived in a culture and a climate of persecution, I've heard that one of the ways as they were navigating life in a world, as they were walking around and they would encounter people, if they had a conversation with somebody on the road as they were traveling, one of the ways they could figure out if this individual was also a Christian was they, you see how the the fish symbol basically has two arcs, right? One that goes up and one that goes down. And so one of the things they could do with their staff or stick or whatever is draw one of the arcs in the dirt. And if the other person was also a Christian or disciple, they could complete it by drawing the other arc. And then thus they could identify that someone else was a believer. <clears throat> Very key, the key central gospel is trusting and believing who Jesus is. That he isn't just, it wasn't just a man, okay? Um, the Gnostics in John's time in this early church period would teach that Jesus was a spirit, that he wasn't actually physical and wasn't a physical person. And so they were combating that. That's part of what we're seeing in this book. And so the identity of Jesus, who he is, right? Jesus Christ, son of God, and then savior. This was important and essential to becoming a Christian. And so this symbol became part of that. John says that if you love God or if you, if you trust in Christ and believe in who he, that he is who he said he was, then you are adopted into God's family. You become a child of God. And then one of the proofs that you're a child of God, obviously, is that you love God and you begin to obey his commandments and you love his other children. And all of this becomes evidence in, in this book that, uh, of our salvation, that, that um, the evidence that we love God and really... Belong to him is that we keep his commandments. We do what he says to do, and I love John's comment here. Again, this is the Holy Spirit giving us uh, this um, this book, but he says um, God's commandments are not burdensome. They're not burdensome, and oftentimes you might think to yourself as you try to do the right thing, and as a kid, maybe you were trying to do the right thing. That at times it's so hard to do what's right, right? If somebody treats you harshly, it's so easy to respond in anger, but you're trying to respond in kindness. And so it's like, oh man, this is so hard. And yet John says, God's, bur- God's commandments are not burdensome. They're actually life-giving. And so it can be difficult to be obedient to God, but actually in the end, it's not this burdensome list of rules that we've got to follow, but it's a lifestyle that we can live that changes us and it really comes out of us as we grow in a relationship with God. And so John says that God's children will be able to overcome and defeat the evil world, that the world around us is filled with sin. It constantly is pulling us in its direction to want to do the things that it values. And yet when we belong to God, when we put our trust in him, then we can defeat the evil world. Its power in our lives is not going to be sufficient to destroy us. And so it's so important that we understand this first obstacle and how to overcome it. The second obstacle that we see in this passage, in this chapter, that we need to overcome in our pursuit of the life that Jesus calls us to is the obstacle of doubt. And so we need to overcome our doubt as we walk with God. 1 John chapter 5, let's continue reading in verse 6. And Jesus Christ was revealed as God's son by his baptism in water and by shedding his blood on the cross. Not by water only, but by water and blood. And the Spirit, capital S, meaning the Holy Spirit, who is truth, confirms it with his testimony. So we have these three witnesses The spirit, the water, and the blood. And all three agree. Since we can believe human testimony, surely we can believe the greater testimony that comes from God. And God has testified about his son. All who believe in the son of God know in their hearts that this testimony is true. Those who don't believe are actually calling God a liar because they don't believe that God has testified about his son. And this is what God has testified He has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have God's Son does not have life. Doubt. Again, as I said, the doubt being cast in this era was the identity of Jesus. Was he really a a physical man? Did he have a physical body? Because the Gnostics, again, were preaching that he did not. And they were infiltrating the church and the Christian community with this idea, with this teaching. And so really, John says, listen, uh, through, the, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he says, hey, here's the truth. And you've been presented with the truth and God has testified to this truth. Jesus in his life experienced a couple of incidents, a couple of times where um, it was confirmed that he was the son of God. One was at his baptism. If you remember the story of his baptism, he comes up out of the water and the father speaks. This is my son who I'm pleased with. The Holy Spirit descends on him and we have the affirmation of God and the evidence, the testimony, if you will, that Jesus is the son of God. And then through his death on the cross, he dies on the cross. He's taken down by Joseph um, of Arimathea and Nicodemus, they put him in a tomb. And this is Friday and Sunday morning, Mary Magdalene and some of the other women go out and the stone is rolled away and his body is gone. And 1 Corinthians 15 tells us that later, he is seen by all of his disciples, by a lot of the women that followed him and by 500 of his followers at one time. And so the evidence is there. And and the apostle here is pointing to this evidence that there's testimony that Jesus is really the son of God and that salvation and eternal life are found in him. And he says, the Holy Spirit also testifies. And we know that when we trust in Christ and the Holy Spirit dwells within us, that he testifies, confirms that these things are true. Now, it's interesting to me that many people believe, and I've talked with you, guys, uh, with you guys about this before, that a lot of people think that in order to become a Christian or believe in Jesus, you've got to take this leap of faith, and you got to suspend your um, intelligence and your reason. You've got to jump in and just believe, okay? And yet, really, we see here today in this passage and in others that that is not what's required or even asked of people as the gospel is presented in the early uh, first century, as the gospel was preached, they, were, they talked about Jesus as a real man that they had experienced and encountered and what had happened to him, what he said and did. And ultimately, they would talk about the crucifixion, the burial, the resurrection. Again, these were evidences. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, you can go ask some of these people that saw Jesus after he rose from the dead. They're still alive. And here, John is saying there's evidence The testimony is there. God himself has testified, right? And so we see that really our doubt isn't answered by a leap of faith. We're not called to suspend doubt to believe. We're called to look at the evidence. God is a God who has made us with intelligence. And of course, he gives us evidence to believe in if we're going to trust in Christ as Jesus Christ, son of God, savior. We have doubts. I don't know how doubt works in your life, but I've talked to a lot of people over the years that have doubts and questions about God. They maybe have believed and put their trust in Jesus, but as they walk through life, things happen. They face obstacles and situations. They wonder, God, are you really there? Are you really interested in me? Are you really walking with me? Are you really keeping your promises? Are you doing the things that you said you would do? And they wrestle. And I think that is a pretty common human experience, to doubt at some level, to have questions as we go through life and encounter different obstacles and difficulties, to wonder, is God really there? Um, Our tendency is to live as though God does not exist and to just try to take care of everything ourselves. And yet the truth is that the evidence is there and God himself will prove to us that he does exist and that he is there and he is walking in our lives. And so some of what we must do is learn to trust him and then see when he's at work. And so this idea of doubting though is something that I've run into. And, and, uh, and so I myself have had doubts at times. And yet I think the answer to doubt, which I encourage everyone, is to look into it. Look into it. Look at the evidence. Um, ask God to show himself to you and to reveal himself to you so that your answers aren't just answers that you hide or your questions aren't just questions you're hiding behind because I've seen that. Well, I can't know for sure. Kind of that skeptical view of things, um, agnostic, I think we call it. Well, I don't know. No one can know for sure what to believe. Well, all religions are basically the same. You know, these kind of things, they're just, to me, not to be be harsh, but just I, I find that usually those are kind of a smoke screen a little bit to say, I don't really want to look into it. I don't really want to, I don't really want to examine it and I don't really want to have to make a decision. And so I'll just kind of say these things and put them out there as though they're true because most people don't know the answer. Most people wouldn't really know how to respond to those. They tend to get most people off my back, you know? And so, um, but that's not satisfactory. That isn't using our intellect, right? Using our abilities to discover things and putting it to use, that's just kind of saying I don't want to know. And so I think doubts are normal, but I, I think it's important to to um, look into and find answers and find the evidence and and seek God in that. Um, the third obstacle we must overcome in our pursuit of the life that Jesus calls us to is the obstacle of worries and concerns. We must overcome our worries and concerns in this life. Let's keep reading in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 13. I have written this to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know you have eternal life. And we are confident that he hears us whenever we ask for anything that pleases him. And since we know he hears us when we make our requests, we also know that he will give us what we ask for overcoming our worries and concerns. Um, I find, as I said before, that one of the, one of probably the very common obstacle that we face and I face at times is when I come up against something that isn't working, when I face my day and I've got problems and issues, I tend to take those on and think it's my job to figure them out, to solve them, to get through them. And so what, what happens is if I don't find a way through them, then those things become worries and concerns. And certainly, even if I do find my way through them, what about the next time it happens? What about the next issue that I face? And so worries and concerns become something that a lot of us carry through life. How are we gonna get through this problem? What if this happens? And so we live with this, and yet we're taught in the scriptures, and here specifically, that we have a heavenly father. And when we trust in Christ, we're adopted into his family, and he is concerned about us. He's concerned about our day-to-day life and our needs, and the things that we face. And he is more than able, he's willing and able to come to our aid and to assist us as we walk through this life. In fact, Jesus said that God himself will provide for us. And so I find that a lot of the concerns of the people that I talk to and for me myself have to do with physical needs and the issues of life. How am I gonna get through this problem? How am I gonna face that issue? I can't get along with this person. There's an obstacle at work or there's, there's, right? What do I do with that? And so the worries and concerns of life and yet John reminds us here that we have a heavenly father that we can go to and ask. Question is, what is your first response to a worry and concern? How do you handle that? Do you try to figure it out? Do you allow it to spin in your mind and exhaust you and wear you down? Or do you take it to God? Do you pray and ask him, to intervene, I know one of the things that helped me in my life to learn to trust God was when other people, out of obedience to God, helped to meet my needs. When I was a kid, my dad was in seminary school, training to be a pastor, and missionary, and we were pretty poor. Had four kids. My dad worked a part-time job, and you know, um, and had the GI Bill and stuff. But it, it, we didn't have a lot, and so I can remember a time where we weren't sure where food was going to come for the next couple weeks and, and a box appeared on our steps full of food. And I thought, man, God is paying attention to our lives. Look at that. He just made, prompted somebody to give us this food so we could, we can make it through. You know, we have a, an opportunity here that we talked about in the announcement time. Every Thanksgiving, our church is involved in a Thanksgiving meal outreach. And we ask people to submit names This year, I think we've got 143 names. And then we have these bags and people take them and shop, right? Get a shopping list, buy the items, and then deliver them here. Right now we have, at last count, about 72 bags. So you can see there's fewer bags than names. And so here's an opportunity for you on the way out. I think there's going to be somebody handing out a bag and a shopping list. If you haven't yet done it, if you haven't given, because some people have given money and so we're going to be able to buy some stuff, but We had somebody donate all the hams and potatoes. But if you want to participate in helping somebody else know that God cares about them, he's paying attention to their needs, then this might be a way you could do that. The Bible teaches us that we are to participate in meeting the needs of others. And that is one of the ways that we can show each other and that people see that God cares about them. God takes our requests seriously He's concerned with what you're concerned about. The thing that has you anxious and nervous, the thing that you think there's no way through, you're not sure that there's an answer, I need you to know as your pastor that God knows about it. He knows about it. And what's great is he knows the answer. He knows the way through. Will you go to him in prayer with those requests? overcome our worries and doubts. The next obstacle that we see, that we face, that this passage, this chapter is going to address is the obstacle of our sin struggles. Sin is missing the mark. It's falling short of how God designed us to live, his character, his plan for us. And so we fall short of that. The Bible calls that sin. So let's keep reading in verse 16 of John chapter, 1 John chapter 5. If you see a Christian brother or sister sinning in a way that does not lead to death, you should pray and God will give that person life. But there is a sin that leads to death. And I'm not saying you should pray for those who commit it. All wicked actions are sin, but not every sin leads to death. We know that God's children... Do not make a practice of sinning, for God's Son holds them securely, and the evil one cannot touch them. We know that we are children of God, and that the world around us is under the control of the evil one. Sin struggles. The apostle here wades into perhaps a difficult topic. You may have heard some things about it. The church over the years has come up with some different ideas of sins that lead to death and sins that don't lead to death. Now, we need to identify what kind of death it's talking about here. And I think it. I think the best um, option is, is spiritual death, not physical death. And so... The apostle john also doesn't identify what the sin is that leads to death he he warns about it but the first thing he says is if you see a fellow believer living in sin okay that doesn't lead to death pray for them now um i think the sin that's being talked about here is the sin of disbelief okay Remember that there's Gnosticism, a heresy that's being presented. There's people teaching it and there's people believing it. And that's the primary issue that John is dealing with here. The sin of disbelief. The Bible tells us in the New Testament, there's one sin that God cannot forgive. And that is the sin of the rejection of Jesus as the son of God. If you reject Jesus as the son of God, there is nothing else for you. There's no way God can can forgive you because you've rejected Jesus his plan of salvation and the, the, the way in which he has paid for your sin, right? And so I think that is the sin that leads to death. But the sins that don't lead to death, right? Since that's the only one that does, John says, you may see a believer in sin. Maybe you've seen a believer participating in a sinful action or behavior. What is your response to that? I know a lot of times we might get critical. Um, we might get... Um, angry, might be tempted to go talk to somebody else. Can you believe what I saw them doing? Kind of sharing that information, a little gossip about them as a way of trying to um, offset maybe some of our anxiety or frustration. Could also get disillusioned and hurt. Can't believe they would do that. I thought they were a Christian and look what they're doing. And yet John's made it clear back in chapter one that as Christians, we're gonna wrestle with sin. And you're probably at some point going to get, you know, you're gonna wrestle with a sin issue that could take you down the wrong path and will. And yet John says, here's what your response should be as a Christian. Pray, pray for them, pray for deliverance, pray that God will bring them out of that. And he promises that if you do, that there will be a deliverance for them. Pray for fellow believers that you see are struggling. The sin that leads to death, of course, he says, I'm not saying you should pray for them. And, and yet we all know people, perhaps loved ones who've for a time, or it seems now, have rejected Jesus as Savior. And I think it's very appropriate to continue to pray for them. He doesn't say you can't pray for them, right? But the idea that if they reject Jesus, that can be difficult to come back from that. And honestly, I think he's talking about people that have left the faith. They, they were believers or said they were, which John says if they were among us and they left us, they were never really a part of us. And so we know that they weren't really believers, and yet he's talking about people that have rejected Christ. We can continue to pray for them. I had a conversation this week with somebody about God continues to work on people up until the point of where they leave this world. They pass to the next life. And certainly I've had the opportunity to see that as a pastor, people coming to Christ at the end of their life. God continues to work on them to convince them of who he really is and that he loves them and cares for them. So they would put themselves into his hands. But John really indicates here that if a person really truly has trusted Christ, that the devil cannot take them away and that really nothing can take them out of God's hands. They will be protected from that sin of disbelief, okay? And so I think um, this is good evidence for one of, the, one of the doctrines that we hold to as a Berean fellowship, and that is of eternal security that once a person is in Christ, there's nothing that can remove them from his salvation in his hand, not even the devil. And so I think this passage is good evidence for that. John is really talking about that, that our struggles with sin will not destroy us. If we're a believer, God will get us through those and he will keep us and he'll rescue us from those things that we can battle with. We have a battle with sin. We have sin struggles that we try to navigate. And overcoming them is possible. And it's, it's, um, it's achievable in a sense. I don't want you to lose hope and get discouraged because you've had a battle for so long. It seems like it's never gonna go away and you're never gonna get victory. The truth is, the answer is in and through that relationship with God. By walking with him and fellowship with him, believers are not gonna make a practice of sinning, but we're gonna move away from it into a place of obedience. The last obstacle is perhaps the greatest one, and that is our tendency to stray away from God. And so the last obstacle we must overcome in this chapter that we see is to overcome our tendency to stray away from God. Let's read the last few verses, verse 20 and 21 of this chapter. And we know that the Son of God has come and he has given us understanding so that we can know the true God. And now we live in fellowship with the true God because we live in fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ. He's the only true God and he is eternal life. Dear children, keep away from anything that might take God's place in your hearts. We live in a world that constantly is pulling us away pulling our hearts away. We want to attach ourselves to different things, find life and hope and excitement and happiness in things. And so constantly, whether it's a relationship or a toy or, or a house or a car, or whatever, our hearts are constantly being pulled away. And John says, don't allow those things to separate you or to pull you away from God. Get rid of anything in your life. Watch and guard against something that might take the place of God in your heart because you're to walk in fellowship with him. And we can have a relationship with the living God. So much more powerful than the things in this life. And yet we have a tendency to be pulled away. You know, the Bible tells us that God is jealous for us. He doesn't want us worshiping other things. In the Old Testament, the nation of Israel will go chase after other gods and God got angry and jealous of them. And I remember meeting a young man years ago um, in one of the cities we lived in down in Atlanta. And he said, you know, I used to be a Christian, but then I found out that God is jealous and jealousy is a negative character trait. I've been learning or we've been learning to not be jealous. And that if we have a, you know, if you're dating somebody or you're in a relationship with somebody and they all of a sudden fall in love with somebody else or they want to pursue them with somebody else, jealousy is not the right response to that. You should be happy for them to find happiness and love wherever they need to find it. And so jealousy is a bad character trait and yet God is jealous. So I don't believe in him anymore. And I said, well, okay, there's two. A couple of definitions of jealousy. There is a bad jealousy, and that is to want or covet after something that somebody else has, right? I'm jealous of them because they got that position, or I'm jealous of them because they got that land, or I'm jealous of them because they just seem like they have all this great stuff, or they've got that great wife or husband, or you know, that kind of jealousy is bad. But the jealousy that God has is not bad. It is a desire for you and I to be connected to Him alone to worship him, to love him, to walk with him, to be in relationship with him and not go astray to other things and to give our affection and our love and our desire to other things or people. That kind of jealousy is not bad. A husband whose wife is flirting with somebody else should be jealous, okay? That's not bad. That's not a bad character trait. That's correct. A wife whose husband is flirting around with somebody else should feel jealous, because that individual has promised their affection to them exclusively. And in the same way, when we come to Christ, we're adopted into his family. We become his children and he desires our affection, our worship, our attention, not because he needs it, but because we need to focus on him. Be careful, keep away from anything that might take the place of God in your heart. A love relationship with God is what he's calling you into. And I wonder today what obstacle might be standing in the way of you just having fellowship with God. Is there a sin pattern you're caught in? Is there something you've looked to and you begin to chase after and you've allowed it to replace God in your heart? Is there some doubt that's crept in because of some obstacles that you're facing? Is there worry and concern that you've allowed to creep in instead of trusting God, you're just full of fear and anxiety? I don't know. I just know we all have them. I've had obstacles over the last couple weeks that are pretty intense. Maybe you have too, we're in a battle. I had somebody say this morning, man, pastor, you came to my mind this week, as I was working, I just said a prayer for you, are you okay? And I said, well, yeah, I've been in a, I've been in a battle. I mean, you, you are too. We're all in a battle. We need the support of each other. We need the encouragement of each other. And we need the word of God to keep us on track. Maybe take a moment as we sing this last song just to redirect yourself to God. He loves you perfectly. He loves you completely. He's not asking that you get everything sorted out in your life and you become a perfect person before He loves you. No, He wants you just where you're at, just where you're at today. Just come to Him, open your life to Him. He'll come in and He'll walk with you and He'll love on you and He'll care for you and He'll change your life. God, thank you for loving us and caring about us and the perfect love that you love us with. We just can't even hardly comprehend it because we don't know anything like it. And so I pray that you'd help us just come to you, just open our life to you and allow you in and allow you to love on us and care about us and help us to keep you in that place in our hearts. First and foremost, we need you so badly. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.